This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Josh Heath. As you know, I'm the Chief Operations Officer of High Level Games. Today we'll be reviewing Tribe Book Silverfangs, but before we do that, here's my co-host. Hi everyone, I'm Becca. I'm obviously your co-host here at Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. <laughs> um, I'm also a crew member over at the Twin Cities by Night, so lots of good stuff. I'm very excited to get started with the Silverfang book, the first edition. Oh boy, it's going to be good, guys. This is going to be a good episode. I want to warn people that are listening to me later that I do have a sore throat, so if I suddenly go, eh, just ignore that. I'll try to get it in post, but you never know what will happen. Um, so by the numbers, this book was written in, written and released in 1997. It was the first book, as far as we can tell, that came out in 1997 and was written by Christopher Howard, and it was developed by both Ethan Skemp and Ken Cliff. And this happened right when Ethan was leaving development of Werewolf the, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. And there are lots of people that did art and great stuff. We're not going to cover them today to save my voice. So, Becca, what, um, what I really enjoyed about this book is the story hooks throughout it. I think they um, really filtered in well different things that you could do as a storyteller, but... Overall, what was your impression of the book? Overall, I kind of found the book to be a bit unnecessary. Simply because, I mean, especially because Rage Across Russia had come out before this, I think several, several years. Um, I want to say that was 94. Don't remember off the top of my head. But you get a lot of the, I mean, that's kind of, Russia's kind of, the Silver Fang home base for majority of the tribe. At least that's the impression I get. So when I was going through this, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I already feel like I had a sense of this from a different book. And so that is where I'm like, eh, I mean, did I really need to read this? It wasn't offering me personally a ton of extra information. Now, it kind of did talk about the different houses well, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, which are somewhat spread out over the world. I think, But I think the big ones is Russia. There's one in England. There's one in the East Coast and kind of Midwest, if I remember correctly, kind of South Midwest area of the United States. So, yeah, what were, what were your thoughts on this book? I think you bring up a really good point. And I hadn't thought of that while I was reading it. It's been a little bit since I read uh, Rage Across Russia when, when I reviewed it last time, which was a while ago. Um, but I think you, you make a good point in that this retreads a lot of that. So if you've read Rage Across Russia, you're going to be like, great, another whole 40 pages of history on Russia and werewolves in Russia. And that legitimately is kind of like a necessary. Why do we need to retread that same ground? I think that the writer for this, um, Christopher Howard, did a good job of having a singular vision and from cover to cover explaining the Silver Fangs really well. Um, 
but yeah, I we will talk about the houses. The the one house um, that you didn't mention is the one in the northeast in New York, which is Austere Howell, which is the one that King Albrecht is a member of. But otherwise, you're absolutely on point with the. Oh houses. no, biggie. No biggie. No one knows <laughs> no about one, him. No one's heard about them. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm pretty sure. Like I've looked up the wiki for Werewolf the Apocalypse before, and it's like, it's basically him and his pack for major NPCs. Whereas you go do the same thing for Vampire, and it's just like all these different. It's who, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> One of the things. Well, let's go on to a real short diatribe about the wiki. Um, the part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast was there isn't a lot of the information about Werewolf out there except for there's one website that create that collates all the gifts that have been in different books and that's it the wiki has like a tenth of the information that vampire has and maybe that's because there's no one as obsessed with the game writing for the wiki that's another thing yeah i mean that's that's fair um i i've have found kind of going through these books and listening to your podcast before joining on it's like it's there's a kind of a disconnect I feel like when I'm reading the books like I don't know I get lost in just that book and then I go to move on to the next one and then I'm just lost in that book if that makes sense I'm not really making as much connections but that might be how it is with vampire as well I'm not sure I haven't sat down to do the same with vampire yeah I think one of the interesting things is vampire does a better job to just talk about something completely different and hopefully you don't need anything to be threads and that that gets better as we go along into revise but that is a very good point apparently i'm full of them today <laughs> <laughs> i'm giving you all the credit becca oh thank you <laughs> all right so um when it comes to the history as we mentioned this book is laid out um there's russian for the chapter headings, so that's really helpful when you don't speak Cyrillic or read Cyrillic and speak Russian. Um, uh, but yes, that was so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's there's a lot of Russia focus in this book, as we mentioned. Um, I think my first takeaway, though, is the history in here is well written. It um, is told in character. Everything in this book is told in character, which is better than Axis Mundi, which was like, is this in character? Is it not in character? What are we doing? At least we know like all of this is in character and we can get, kind of just get into the character voice at least. That's a hundred percent true. Um, like, and actually as you brought that up specifically, I'm like, Oh, there's all this stuff that I'm starting to remember because of how it was stated in character and because I'm, I'm more of a visual person when it comes to information. If you can kind of paint the scene for me, then I'm better able to retain the information or at least be like, oh, this is generally what the, this section was talking about. So that, I mean, that's that's fair. That wasn't something that I quite considered myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it offers the unrelatable or not unrelatable, unreliable, that's the word, unreliable narrator, which you can say, okay, like, this is biased towards the Silver Fangs because it's written from a dude that loves his tribe's perspective or several mostly men. Um, that's a good point. Um, 
Yeah, I think that all the characters in this are are men, which is interesting. Um, that is another comment. I think I think there's one section where one of the people who's giving information is a female, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think from for the most part, male characters, which took me a really long time to pick up on. <laughs> it, I just thought about it as I was le- leafing through the book and went, oh, huh, interesting. Um, one of the things I think that's cool though in this book, and we're going to be jumping all over the place today, folks, so bear with us. Um, the idea that there's so much, um, there's so many, so much diversity within the Silver Fangs as regards to the fact that there are two lodges that all Silver Fangs are a part of. Then there are four camps, and then there are 13 houses. Thankfully, a lot of the houses are dead. So. We don't have to worry about, like, the she syndrome of Changeling, where there's all of these she houses, and you're like, why are there so many damn elves when there are all these other types of Changelings? I'm, I mentioned I was sick, so excuse my complete randomness, but at least they've reduced the amount of houses, so you're like, okay, there are only a few houses that matter or that are still around, so there are only seven of them. But the thing that I... I, I get with that is there aren't enough werewolves for all these different divisions. I know. So I get, I, oh gosh. <laughs> my, my first thought to all of that was like, why would you even have 13 houses within the silver fangs? But then uh, I think I've tried to do the math on this before. And I want to say like with how, how they did it statistically where it's like, I can't even remember the statistics at the moment. But it feels like there's only, like, 2,000 werewolves in the world. Like, it, it might be a little bit more than that, but it's supposed to be super-duper rare. So it's like, why are there so many divisions for this small group of people? I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. And the, I'm, uh, the only thing I could say in the defense is that because they're familial, like, uh, they have a familial relationship with their kinfolk. Maybe these are actual like kinfolk houses, and there's like one Garu out of a hundred kinfolk within a house. But again, that's too much. There's too many of all of these different divisions for that to really make sense. But that being said, conceptually, I like the idea of it, of the kinfolk taking more of a role. It, a lot of the time in a lot of these books except for the the tribes that are quote-unquote on the bottom of the totem pole so you got your bonars and your children of gaia kinfolk are kind of pushed to the side but like they really shouldn't be and it's i like the idea that the if you choose to go that route with silver fangs that they you know have a little bit more standing have a little bit more um say in what happens yeah yeah, um, I think that's an interesting idea. My, I guess my one question, the thing we haven't covered, we've just kind of talked about Silver Fangs. Um, who are the Silver Fangs and why are they important? So I think um, my first takeaway is the Silver Fangs are supposed to be the nobility of the Garu Nation. They're, they're usually the kings. They are the rulers in these various different places. And they're also... Um, all infected with madness because of reasons that are fairly unclear, um, but hinted at that um, um, close marital relationships are probably part of the reason for that. Um, did, well, 
To interrupt you, I can actually think of two stories that I've read off the top of my head. I think in this one, they sort of addressed it in the beginning creation story uh, that's mostly based in Russia for the Silver Fangs is um, the, the first wolf who went in and helped save Gaia died and came back. And I think, I think the madness was kind of spun into that as well. And then the other story that I'm thinking of, and I cannot remember where I read this, but the idea, and it might've been an apocalypse book now that I'm a, a later on book, but Falcon, no, who, which is the, the tribal totem again? Falcon's the tribal totem. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I am, I'm going the right one. Um, Falcon gifted the the Silver Fangs blessed them, or Helios, something along those lines. One of their celestial spirits blessed the Silver Fangs, and they were to rule. Well, I believe that there was a disconnect where one of the Silver Fangs was abusing that power, and they're meant to pass it on after a certain amount of time. Well, then it became enforced by the that lunacy that madness yeah, 27 of years of of peace and then sorry oh. I, i'm pulling that out of the back of my brain i know seven was the big number mm-hmm. like after seven years whoever's the leader is supposed to pass it on now that might just be and i'm not sure at what level that is is it the king of the house is it the king and queen of king or queen of the whole tribe itself is it um uh, a pack alpha. I don't, I don't know that they necessarily specify that, but that's kind of like, Hey, here's kind of two stories that talk about the madness. That's just not necessarily inbreddedness, but that's totally could have, could be what it is too. I like both of those stories a lot better. Um, even if I, I would probably use, the like uh, the seven years, if it's seven years, I, I wanted to say it was more than that, but seven years does sound right too. Um, that's like a good, hey, you've been pack alpha for too long, like step down sort of thing. Um, and I do remember that. I want to say that's from the revised book or it might be in here and I just like missed it in my reading or it might be in Rage Across Russia because yeah. we did mention overlap there. Yeah, I don't think it's in this book. I'm I'm leaning towards probably revised. Yeah. Um, so I think we kind of covered like the basics of why silver fangs, silver fangs are supposed to be the leaders. They do have this, um, issue where they have to abdicate their leadership after a certain period of time or things go bad for them. Um, I want to talk really briefly. I want to review real briefly the houses. There are, again, we mentioned 13 houses, the two lodges, the two lodges are the sun and the moon and the 13 houses, the seven that remain are Gleaming Eye in Northern Europe, the Unbreakable Hearth in Canada and the American Midwest, the Blood Red Crest, which is in Asia and India, interestingly enough. Um, no one's heard of them outside of this book, probably, because there's not a lot of... White Wolf doesn't spend enough time outside of uh, Europe and America, but that's another story. Um, Wiseheart, which is Mediterranean in Middle East, which um, mostly they're talking about Greece and... Um, Greece, and they say Uzbekistan and Georgia um, and Turkey. For folks that have never been to those places, um, Uzbekistan is quite a distance from Turkey, just so our listeners know that. Um, 
Okay, that's hilarious. Uh, Yeah, well, (laughs) White Wolf likes to do this, too, where they're like, oh, yeah, these places that are right next to each other. And you're like, no, there's, like, thousands of miles between them, folks. Um, Anyway, um, Austere Howl, which is in Great Britain. Wormfoe, which actually we got this wrong earlier. Wormfoe is Albrecht's house, which is in the American Northeast. And Crescent Moon, which is in Russia. Those are all the existing houses. And, again, you're kind of like, how the heck do you have enough werewolves to have all of these divisions. But maybe if you're like two people and all your kinfolk in Russia or in Uzbekistan and your closest families in Turkey, maybe that's how it works. Um, Yeah. And then the lost houses are also pretty interesting, but they're almost all Russia, Northern Europe and things like that. So there does seem to be a lot of that sort of focus. What did you think, um, Becca, about the lodges? Do you um, have you read the bit on that, and do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah, so I did read through the lodges a little bit. Um, I'm, but real quick, I am going to back up just a little bit because my cool. first thought about the houses, as we're just quickly kind of paging through all of this, I'm like, wow, there's really not a lot of information. Oh, okay, maybe I'm, maybe it's just the lost houses. Um, there's a little bit more information, but I feel like they could have gone more in depth with a lot of the, the current houses than they did. And when I was reading through that, I was just like, I feel like there should be some strife between some of the houses, but I'm just not seeing where the conflict is. I like, I don't get why there would be conflict, but I feel like there should be. So that was kind of my feeling on that. You make a good point. And in the uh, in the novels, and I have not read any of these. I only know this from secondhand sources. But in the novels, there's this whole um, fight between Crescent Moon and Wormfoe. And um, Albrecht only becomes the king of the entire Garu nation because he steals the, uh, or takes the, the silver, silver crown, crown from yeah. House, um, House Crescent Moon. Oh, they had it? See, I, I yep. knew he found it, but I thought he went into the Umbra to, to capture it. I'm capture 98% it. sure he, he, he took it. it. Stole it is, <laughs> is actually the accurate word from Crescent. Oh, Albrecht. Yeah. Jodis. That, that, that totally sounds like something he would do with you. I love it. I love it. He's oh. probably one of my, the only Silverfang character that I've liked in the books because he's, He's not stereotypical. He's a good mm-hmm. king because he doesn't fit the stereotype. Gotcha. Now, I would I would put out there that there's one other Silver Fang character who is in Rage Across Russia that I really liked, but I can't remember her name off the top of my head. She's, um, But it's a good tie-in because she's actually part of the Ivory Priesthood. Um, I, and I'm... Well, I'll figure... I'll find out her name later. <laughs> Um, but kind of coming back to the camps, right? So we have we have the if I can find the section real quick. Page twenty nine. Sorry, I meant I meant lodges, not camps, because they're different. <laughs> um, again, so many different lines to draw 
for how little grew there are. So we, we have the sun, which is more the physical side of, of the lodges there. Um, I found it interesting that they, they kind of did the divisions between the two based off of auspice. So typically your runes and your galliards are in the sun and then the moon, which is more the mystic side of it. You have your thurges and your ragabashes, and then apparently philodoxes can lean either way. And it's not like a hard and fast rule. You're a ragabash, so you have to be in the moon. It's just that's typically where they lean. Um, and, you know, the moon the moon deals with more of the, like I said, mysticism, and there's a lot more nuance with it because there's tie-ins tie with the different phases of Luna. And so there's a lot that you can play with with just that thought process by itself. Um, and then, oh, I guess the, the ivory priesthood isn't tech. Is that a camp or is it's that one technically? one of the camps, yeah. Oh, okay. It's the last camp that they present. And there are four, again, we've talked about the divisions here. How do you get four camps out of like a hundred werewolves? But um, yeah, there are those four camps if you want to go over those. Oh, so those four camps are renewal, Royalists, uh, three camps. We're just going to edit the heck out of this episode. There are three camps, and they are Renewal, Royalists, and the Ivory Priesthood. Um, but what's funny about that is I could have sworn there was four, too. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just adding extra. Maybe we're adding... There's a fourth secret camp of of Silver Fangs. Yeah, of Kinfolk. I mean, because they kind of put the kinfolk in that section for whatever reason. So obviously they, like we were talking about, they have some um, some level of it. And I think, no, I'm thinking it was the Axis Mundi where we read where um, the guru was like, hey, you need to also make sure to be respectful of our kinfolk. So I'm, I think I'm getting my books a little bit mixed up. Mm. Um, but I kind of you... wish that they would focus on that more. Right. I actually agree. Like, spend more time on the kinfolk because actually probably would be more interesting in some ways. Um, you were going to say something about the ivory priesthood, though. Oh, man. I wish there was more information on them. They seem really interesting. I like how they tie them to the Silent Striders, which I had mistakenly read that book earlier. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. So I'm like, I can't wait to talk about Silent Striders again. Um, but the Ivory Priesthood, kind of tying back to that original story in Russia with the first wolf, where he comes back to life, that is um, the, the big symbolic thing that happens is his fur turns white. And he was given the, the knowledge of death. That is, at least within the Ivory Priesthood, I guess in Russia, their take on it is, is there's that connection there. So ivory priests tend to wear all white robes with very ordained, like all sorts of different things stitched into the robes itself that people don't like to get too close to to read because it's just eerie. They spend a lot of time in the dark umbra. Um, but other than that and their connections with, with silent striders, there's really not that much information on what the ivory priesthood does and that's i'm like Ugh. yay you you leave a lot to the imagination but like i feel like there needs to be just a little bit more 
so that I, I have a good jumping off point. It's not enough to just say they deal with death, so have fun, figure it out. I totally respect that, and I actually disagree. Um, only in that, like, I think this book does a really good job of giving you this hook, this real big hook, and saying, hang yourself and your characters on this, and here, and you can do whatever you want with it. Like, the, this, these two paragraphs on the Ivory Priesthood are enough for me to go, ooh, now I'm going to make an entire plot, like, focused on them and how they interact with the silent striders and maybe this like maybe this is how you tie wraith into werewolf a little bit more by using this and there's uh, a priest s in the ivory priesthood who needs a pack to go with her into um the shadowlands and find a specific wraith that has a relic which is the wraith version of fetish that is actually a werewolf fetish that they have to return to the world but if they do that, they rip this really powerful item out of like uh, a wraith that is a kinfolk's hands. And what is that going to mean for them? So they have to like work through all of these wraithly politics as well as all the werewolf politics. So, I mean, that's fantastic. And I, I think we definitely have two different perspectives on this because it, when you say that, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I would totally play that game. That sounds like an, or maybe even run it because I, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So um, you have a lot of that that knowledge. It sounds like you've read Beyond Werewolf, but I'm still fairly new to reading werewolf books. And I'm like, if I'm if I'm coming to this and just going like, okay, I'm gonna try read and figure out about the silent, uh, sorry, Silver Fangs. And I come across that. I'm just like, that's just not enough information for me mm. as a as a new storyteller yeah. um, or a new reader to the werewolf of the apocalypse. So legit, I I totally like I like that. Definitely needs more reading from my perspective. Yeah, I think that's super fair, and I think that's like it's good to be reminded as a writer and a reader of these books and like a storyteller that like what is enough information for one person for a good story hook isn't going to be enough for another person. The good thing is in the revised tribe book. And when we get to that in a couple of years, hopefully not a couple of years, but in a while, when we get there, um, there is a big section on the ivory priesthood and the various camps and uh, such in that book. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Mm-hmm. They like do a know, really good job there. I know the revised books tend to add more information so it'll be it'll be really good to go through all these and then be like ah revised (laughs) that'll be the best part of it i think (laughs) (laughs) because then we'll be able to turn back and say becca all the things that you were like i want more of there we go so i'm looking through the section on gifts right now because I specifically was curious if the Moon Lodge or anybody else gets a way to go into the Dark Umbra. And they, unless I'm missing it, which is possible, they don't. So I have no idea how the Ivory Priesthood gets into the um, into the Dark Umbra or, or the Underworld, but... That's a that maybe is another story. Yeah. 
Well, I'm, and I'm just thinking, because the, the Moon Lodge... Oh, it's I found it. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. cool. Sorry. Which one is so, it? Amend all of that um, to say there is a right on page 52, um, oh. enter the Dark Umbra. It's only a level three right, so take okay. that. Okay. Oh, legit and it's mystical. Uh, so, real quick, talking about the gifts for the Moon Lodge specifically, I found this really interesting. So, they... And again... This is talking about the different moon phases of Luna. Um, and just, it was a nice play, play on it. With the gifts, it started with, it starts one through five, but then each level is associated with a different phase of the moon, auspice. But any, any as long as you're part of the moon lodge, you could still learn any of them despite whatever auspice you was. You was. Oh my goodness. You are. <laughs> oh, forgive me. It's morning and I haven't finished my coffee yet. Um, which I just, I liked that little nuance that, yeah, you can be in a room. So you learned the first level one, which is, and then it goes all the way fives of Ragabash, but that Ragabash could also learn that first level of rune one, which isn't something that you see very often within because they're, and that's a whole nother, I feel like a whole nother discussion talking about gifts, but that's just, that's cool. I think that's so cool. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of interesting nuances presented here, which are really neat. Um, and if they were used um, cross-tribally, I think would be better. Like there's so much stuff in here with these lodges and the... Um, the houses, if that existed throughout several tribes, I think that might actually be, it might hold more water for me. That's completely fair. It, and now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of wish that they had done something like that, where you have the, the Lodge of the Sun and the Moon, and that was like maybe for at least six of the tribes shared that kind of thought process with it. Because then, then you also have the intertribal politics rather than just within your tribe politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's the way that a storyteller can, can take that and add enough uh, variety for it to be realistic. I know as a storyteller myself, I tend to stay away from the different, different groups, camps, I think is the, the basic term most of the tribes use. Um, like, and I get it because you get some extra gifts from it, but oftentimes I just find it to be too distracting. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go off on a random tangent for just a moment. Um, there is Yay! a reference. <laughs> there is a reference to the children of Karnak in here. If for listeners of last uh, I was going to say last week. Trust me, it was longer than that, sadly. Um, last episode. Um, you'll notice that I pulled out the Char Children of Karnak as this weird, cool spirit hook, and they're referenced again in this book. Um, but those two references don't actually make any sense when you connect the two of them. But if you if you wanted to, you could probably create some sort of story out of that by reading both of these books and looking for them in that context. That's my random tangent. Well, and I think it just goes to show, again, it's like, hey, here are these books that came out relatively close to each other, and 
you know, it, obviously somewhere along the line, the communication wasn't very good because you have like, great, hey, here's these spirits here, but then here's these spirits here and they just don't fit. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last section of this book are popular or famous NPCs. Was there, did you get a chance to look at these and is there one of them that you're like, I really like? this person or this like a story hook that's in here so 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 now that i i knew we would kind of come back to this so yuri and sophia uh tarvich i believe that's how you pronounce the last name it's or at least it's close close enough <laughs> um it's the npc that i said oh i really like this in rage across russia that is that NPCs, those two, those twins are her ancestors. Grand, um, yep. I, I can't remember if they're grandparents or uncle, uncle and aunt. Um, I think long ago ancestors, if I remember right. Yeah. But, but she's I'm... supposed to be the reincarnation of Sophia specifically. I mean, in looks, it's not like actual reincarnation. Uh, so those, again, I'm just drawn to those two. They fought a Zimi, which is one of my favorite so far in World of, in World of Darkness and uh, Werewolf. And so, sorry, favorite story hooks. There we go. Um, and, and they died killing one of them. And it, it was supposed to be this really big thing and really cool. And it's just like, oh, so like that's I naturally get drawn that direction with those two. Um, I guess the oh, there was other one that um, Colette Delacourt. She really stood out to me. And that was probably the first one where I was like, oh, there could be a really cool story hook with her. Because um, I think she's relatively I mean, she's famous. But she's still like, it wasn't that long ago that she died. Right. Um, she's she's with the gleaming eye, and like apparently people just loved her. She was seven. She was still fairly young, seventeen, I believe. Oh, fifteen by the looks of it. Um, and mysteriously, she died. And part of it was like she's starting to unite some of the other tribes. So like there's, there's some very interesting political stuff. If you wanted to, I want to say she's in the South Southeast of the United States, New Orleans. So if you're setting a story there, like I'm like, Oh, Hey, cool politics that you just, I feel are often lacking in, in werewolf, the apocalypse kind of gives you good, good grounding for plot hooks with that. Definitely. So I'm going to take that. And I'm going to pull in some other World of Darkness knowledge and really like there's a there's some Preach hints it. here. <laughs> um, so there are two books. The I want to say it's the Sabbat guy, the Storyteller's Guide to the Sabbat, which is a first edition slash second edition vampire book. Valkenberg Foundation and uh, New Orleans by Night. Those um, two of those books have Sam Haight in them, and Sam Haight is um, a bit of a ridiculous character that ends up getting all the powers of all the der- various World of Darkness creatures. But there is this subplot throughout those books of uh, um, an, of a war, like a greater war happening between the Sabbat, these Black Spiral dancers, maybe with the werewolves in the area, 
and like these older um, vampire lords, the Southron lords, who all control um, elements throughout um, throughout New Orleans and the south of the U.S. And this ties right into all of that. In that, um, I'm pretty sure she is killed by Sam Haight, who was hired by the Sabbat to kill her to ferment a war amongst the werewolves, with the goal of the vampires being able to win against them ultimately. And I mean, that's that's really cool, but why him? Why <laughs> him? It yeah. could have been so much more interesting if like they corrupted somebody, somebody else. You know. Like, he doesn't need to be in everything. So that's, I would change that personally. Fair, which I think that's great. Like, take the story and Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to make it this corrupted, uh, this other corrupted kinfolk or this corrupted Garou or something like that. Well, and it can, I mean, with that, you could really play up some of the, some of the differences maybe they want. Like, what does that particular person who kills Colette Delacourt want? And then, like, you kind of, can reflect that in the tribes themselves. So, and then like it, I just see the spiraling out of the different connections that I'm just like, this is what I, this is what I want from werewolf. I want more connections. I want more political intrigue and it not just necessarily feel like, okay, I'm going to go find this Bane and kill it. Yeah. Which I think is legit. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, the other thing that I want to just randomly pull out from this book is that there are, um, hints to dark secrets amongst the Silver Fangs. Um, one or two in particular being what happened in the Old West, which when we get to review Werewolf the Wild West, um, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and the other being... The Sibirak are this subtribe of the um, the Ice Hearts and the uh, Silver Fangs. Oh, They're like this mixed right. Siberian um, pseudo tribe. And they're just really briefly mentioned in this book, and they're mentioned in a few other first and second edition books. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, at, so far, there hasn't been this whole like, this is who the Sibirak are in a more holistic sort of way. Yeah. Wait. Uh. So you said ice, ice hearts. Uh, was it? Um, so I try Wendigo? to avoid Wendigo. Yeah. Uh, oh, I see. I see. That it's is. And now that I'm thinking about that, like you totally talk about that earlier. So I'm, I'm good. I just it caught me off guard. So we'll call them ice hearts. I okay. Cool. Sounds good. Um. Yeah. I think the Sibirak are an interesting an interesting idea and they tie into my story, like one of my story hook idea, the, this like the sins of the past is a big theme for the shadow or not the shadow Lords, but I love them as well. But of the silver fangs, like they have done horrible things throughout history and leaving a whole group of their offspring and abandoning them to the ice and that attitude I would have like a leader of the Sibirak rise up and challenge the king. And that would be a really interesting story. Like, who is this random person? Why do they think they get to be king of the Garu nation? Oh, wait, maybe they're not Albrecht's son, but they're one of the other great like houses of Silverfangs. One of the lost houses. Yes. Oh, that'd be so cool. 
what what was it the the house that that's like oh this is the paragon of silver fangs golden that, like, seal or something like that yeah it's something something i wanted to say golden i'm like no that's a 007 thing golden <laughs> sky the golden there sky we go. yeah. <laughs> golden sky I, that could just be, I mean, that right there would cause any Silver Fang to have pause and be like, ooh. Yeah. 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 I like that. So what sort of story hook ideas do you have based on re- re- reading, reviewing the book? Um, I think most of them we've already, we've already kind of touched on. The, the Colette Delacorte um I, I would love to take the one that you just said because it's really cool, but that was yours. <laughs> um, shoot. I, uh, I, like I said, I just didn't get too, too many ideas from reading this book, unfortunately. I got a feeling for how Silver Fangs think. And I think from there, it's like, well, like I, I would use this book to set up the the mindset of a silver fang um, and try to to push that forward just kind of that yeah they're they're arrogant they think they should be in charge from the outside perspective but from there to really get in their mind it's it's a duty that they have to the rest of the guru nation and it's not i mean they have to have that arrogance in a way because otherwise who's going to take them seriously mm-hmm. which yeah but yeah, like I said, just getting in the mindset of a silver fang. Makes sense. And I, I think you're right. I think the book um, does a very good job of, of helping understand what makes them tick, which is helpful for a, like a player book to be able to know, okay, this is how I should play this tribe. Yeah, so as far as the book it goes, goes for that, when it came out, yes, it's it's good for what it is. Now... So I know you've at least stated two plot hooks, but did you have any others that were that came to mind while you were reading this book? The other one that I thought of that I really um, that I like is the one of the interesting things about meta plot in the world of darkness is that uh, oftentimes it feels like how do I connect my characters to this? And I actually think that the werewolf meta plot of the rise of King Albrecht is one that players can get really easily involved in. Um, If you play a pack where your pack alpha is uh, maybe a member of one of Albrecht's old packs, because there are are at least two, one that supposedly was all destroyed, but there's another pack that he was a part of before he was part of a pack with uh, Mari and um, Evan Heals the Past. Have your alpha of a pack be an NPC, be a former member of his pack, and be loyal to his rise as king. And then that pack has to go around the world and convince individual seps of Silverfangs to to follow King Albrecht. Because he can't go everywhere by himself, but if he's got the um, the right emissaries, they might be able to convince all of these other Silverfangs to back his claim to the throne so i think that's the hook that 
like the last hook that I would go with is this rise of the king um, and how you get a pack involved in that rise by being those sorts of connections and or just king kill King Albrecht off completely and have someone else from one of the other um, houses be like, yo, I'm king or queen now. You have to respect my authority. <laughs> Well, and, and I like that because it's that first step. So you can you can really build with with that kind of campaign. Um, now, I typically have certain players in my group who they don't want to be people's whipping boys, quote unquote. Um, not that in that story anybody would be King Alric's whipping boy, but they just they want to take charge of their own destiny in the Guru Nation. So um, that could be potentially a good stepping stepping stone where you're sending out being like hey go talk to the silver fangs get them on our page and then the next step would be like okay you did so good with this let's send you out to the rest of the guru nation and start talking to people and convincing them hey let's unite under a banner and then from there like you and you i feel like you can lead that pretty well into the apocalypse scenario that they end with um at that point, it's like, well, your characters would probably, at the very least, have their own mini armies within, like, so they'd be not generals. I mean, maybe generals. Yeah, I think that generals. would probably be the term, um, which, you know, I know that would probably make my players who like to be in charge of their own destiny pretty happy. I like that. I like, I think that's a good merging of the two, uh, or taking that idea and making it a little bit more organic for a group mm -hmm. of players. Yeah. Makes sense. Super cool. cool. So, so I do have a question for you. Sure. How do you rate this book? Mm. How many silver crowns would I give this <laughs> book? Um, out of 10, I personally would give this nine silver crowns. Um, which really? This again comes down to our, our different views of the book. I think mm -hmm. I got a lot out of it, but um, how many silver crowns would you give it? I knowing that there's a revised book i would i would probably give it six crowns there's some some interesting stuff to glean from this but i just i feel like there was so much missing fair i think that's fair cool um so for anyone that is still listening um you can find us in the future at podcast werewolf on twitter werewolf the podcast on facebook and our website which is werewolfpodcast.com and emails can be sent to josh at werewolfpodcast.com. Becca, if people wanted to find you in particular, where could they find you at? So I'm on Twitter at EpicBotch. And you can find me on the Discord server at Twin Cities by Night. I don't think that that at, I just like to add ats to everything. Those are my two biggest where I am pretty frequently. So come visit us at the Twin Cities by Night discord server we'd love to have you guys there absolutely and if you haven't listened to an actual play by twin cities by night yet you are missing out um they do some great games institutionalized uh which is a uh, world of darkness um mortals actual play um is out oh, it's so good yeah it's very it's so good, good. I'm, it. I'm not i'm not in that one but i'm just like mm, the boys are gonna get it right i just know it <laughs> awesome um well Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next time the moon rises in the sky.
The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.